I'm going to be jumping around all over the place this morning, so you may want to get a copy of this, or you may want to just jot down the scriptures. I'm going to be starting, of course, in Luke chapter 2, very familiar passage. Uh, since it's Christmas, this will be the last time I preach before Christmas Day. Uh, we're having our Christmas play, of course, next Sunday. Next Saturday, I invite you out. Next Sunday, also, come out for the Christmas play. Uh, but it's, it's the time of year that we, uh, you know, we exchange gifts and we're spreading cheer and joy to the world and all that and good tidings everywhere. And it's a happy time of the year. I like it. I really do. You know, you hear people singing joy to the world. The Lord has come at the earth receiver king, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Those are all good things. Amen. Uh, it's a time of year that we talk about God's love. We talk about the greatest gift that God ever gave us. In fact, I titled the message today, God's Greatest Gift. Uh, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, is a very familiar passage. It talks about the, the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. And lo, an angel appeared unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid, said King James Version. And it said that um, suddenly there was an angel that said uh, to them, um, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Then there was a host of angels joined with them, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Everybody say that with me. Peace and goodwill toward men. Now... <clears throat> How many of you ever heard that recited in a Christmas play? Come on. Like a bazillion million times, you know. If you're my age, you've heard it like 50 times or more. And uh, it's awesome. Every Christmas play you go to, and if they're doing the traditional nativity type Christmas play, you're going to hear Luke chapter 2. But then I come across Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. And I don't think I gave you all of it. Verse 34 through 38 or 39, if you can add that to that, Debbie, I don't know if it's too late for that. But <clears throat> out of the New King James, it says, Jesus is talking. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You read the church. I, I, come, I come across this all the time. I'm reading something in scripture and I'm going, what? How many of you do that? Come on. It's like. That don't sound right. That sounds contradictory. You just said you came with peace on earth and goodwill towards men, but you said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Verse 35 says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those in his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, in the whole context of the New Testament, I know that Jesus didn't come to bring conflict. That wasn't his intention. Because he said, Father, I pray that these would be one, even as you and I are one. So Jesus is not about division. Satan's about division. So I understand he didn't bring conflict into the earth. But what I also understand is the very nature of who Jesus is causes conflict in the earth. And the reason is because there are evil people in this world. How many of you know that? No, you're not married to him. You might work with a few, but amen. Come on. Uh, but there's evil people in this world, and they oppose Jesus. And so you're either going to be for him, in which case you will obey his word, or you're going to be against him, in which case you'll disobey his word. Now, if a righteous person loves unrighteousness, if a righteous person loves evil, an evil person, more than they love Jesus, even if that person is their father, 
or their mother or their son or their daughter, etc. Then they're not worthy of the kingdom. And that's what he's talking about. There is division. When I came, my very nature is going to cause conflict. It's going to cause people to be against each other. And if you are a righteous person and you love someone that is not righteous more than you do me, even if it's your father, mother, sister, and brother, then you're not worthy of the kingdom. So there's going to be division there, not because Jesus wants that, but because it's the nature of the world that we live in. We're living in a fallen world. So you have to lose that kind of life, the life you wish that you had, and then you're going to find it. And that's really what that's talking about. Now, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, it says this. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous, capital He, God. So if you practice righteousness, you will be righteous just like God is righteous. Verse 8 says, he who sins is of the devil. That may be your father, maybe your mother, your sister, your brother, whomever. If they sin, they're of the devil. It says the devil has sinned from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now God, he has peace towards men. And when the angel said, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, blah, blah, blah. And it will be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. God desires that we have peace. He desires goodwill towards us. But peace is not what we have on the earth. And the reason why is because people have rejected the Prince of Peace. And that's why we do not have peace on the earth. And they, in turn, serve the devil. And the Bible says, he who serves sin is of the devil. If people are, they practice sedition, that's overthrowing a government, it's rebellion. If people practice reveling, that's having a party spirit. People practice lasciviousness, that means not having any restraints. The Bible says, if you sin, if you do those things, you are of the devil. So when we see things like that, and we see things like ISIS, and Hezbollah, and Al-Qaeda, and Boko Haram, and all that, people just murdering and doing whatever they feel like and want to do, that is the first law of Satan, whatsoever thou will. And that's what we're seeing take place right now, and it's spreading globally. Do you hear me, church? Whatever I want to do, there's no restraints. There's no laws that's going to hold me accountable. I can come in. I can do anything I want to you. And there is no repercussions to my actions. That is demonic to the very core. And we're seeing that spread across the globe. It's the works of Satan. And they have not been destroyed yet. Jesus said, for this purpose came he into the world that he might destroy The works of the devil. And when we see this type of thing, we know that his works have not yet been destroyed. Because if they had, we would not be seeing all of these things and all the wars and things that we have. And Jesus even warned us in in Matthew 24, he says, In the last days there should be wars and rumors of wars, and kingdoms shall rise against kingdom, and nation against nation, and tongue and tribes will rise up against each other. So all these things are going to happen until the time that Jesus comes back. The battle that we are seeing fought today, right now, is the same battle that has been fought from the very beginning of time. It is the battle between the righteousness of God and the satanic, demonic, evil, sinful nature of Satan, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever name you recognize him by, the serpent, the dragon, there's many names. And so it's that war between righteousness and evil. And Jesus came to destroy that evil and the works of the devil. That's why he came. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, Lord. We look forward to getting into it, God. I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, will be directed by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you guide me and guide my thoughts this morning, Lord. I pray that you help us to listen attentively. God, that you show us where we are in this message, Lord. And God, may we hide your word firmly in our heart, God, that we may not sin against you, Lord. 
God, we don't want to be on the other side of this fight, Lord. We want to serve you and be acceptable and faithful to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This sword that Jesus brought is a spiritual battle that's being fought in the natural realm. It always has been. It's a spiritual battle. It's being fought in a natural realm. Remember when Jesus was with the disciples and he left them, he said, whatsoever you bind in heaven, it will be bound in the earth. And whatsoever you loose in heaven, it will be loosed in the earth. He's making that comparison right there. And the Lord showed me this a long time ago. That when I, when I pray and when I declare things and when you speak, listen, your words are powerful. And you've been given authority in Jesus' name. When you invoke the name of Jesus and you speak things out into the realm of the Spirit, they are being empowered by the angelic powers, by the heavenly powers, to see them carried out and manifested and come to pass in this natural realm. And that's what he's talking about. Whatsoever you loose in heaven, it is loosed in a natural realm. Amen? That's why, man, I just jumped a rabbit. That's why we need to be careful what we say. Now, now I, for years, I spent time in what we call the faith camp movement. It's, uh, high, some people, they say critical things about it, hyper faith and those kind of things. And they carried their message to a very far extreme. And they did and they do. But there was some biblical principle and biblical truth that, that is valuable that I held on to. And one thing is the power of the spoken word. You know, when we see all kinds of examples in Scripture where somebody believed something and they spoke that and it came to pass. Because faith is things spoken out. It's when you believe it, you speak it, you set things in motion to make it a reality. So if, you, if you're feeling symptoms of some kind of sickness in your body, you, you start claiming that. Oh, I know there's something wrong with me. I know I've got this or that. And you start naming diseases. You are speaking a curse over your physical being. And you're releasing things in the realm of the spirit that will manifest in this natural realm. You can take that same principle and say, I am the blessed of God. I am the redeemed of God. I walk in his pleasure. I walk in his favor. I walk in his health, his divine health. My body is strong. My body is healthy. I believe that. I speak that, and it's manifested. Amen? And if something shows up in my body, I will never, ever, 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 ever claim that as my this or my that. People talk about my cancer or my tuberculosis or my this or that. Well, stop claiming it. And I'm not fussing about it. Just people don't understand the power of the words that they speak. You know, so it's very, very important that we understand that and we speak things of faith and things that are positive because we're loosing things in the heavens. And God says, whatever you loose in the heavens will be loosed in the earth. Whatever you bind in the heavens will be bound in the earth. So I bind sickness and disease. I bind poverty. Amen. I bind insanity and all kinds of things like that. Bind it in Jesus' name. It will not come nigh my dwelling. You read the blessings of God in Deuteronomy. I'll be blessed when I rise up. I'll be blessed when I lay down. I'll be blessed when I go out. I'll be blessed when I come in. Amen. That, brother, that's for me right there. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. That's for me right there. Amen. Brother, you can't lose with that stuff. Woo, that's good stuff now. Come on. Amen. You're Pentecostal. You can say amen once in a while. That's all right. Nobody get mad at you. You're not in that. I, said, I told you that story one time. I said, praise the Lord. Real soft like it. And this lady goes, turned around real slow and looked at me, man. <laughs> I wanted to get right in her ear and just say, glory to God, you know. <laughs> get down, flesh. I just didn't do it. Now you're in Pentecostal church. It's all right. You can do that. Everything that God is doing here, it's, this battle, it's a spiritual battle. It's being fought in a natural realm. It always has been. And what, it's, what we're seeing when that takes place is a demonstration of God's love for man. I'm going to let that soak in for a minute. It's a demonstration for God's love for man. These battles that we're seeing, they're calling it a holy war. Well, guess what? 
It is a holy war. Only what they're doing, there's nothing holy about that. There's nothing holy about rape and murder and stealing and killing and destroying. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing holy about that. But resisting that is a very holy thing. And we're seeing that battle. We've seen it from the beginning of time, fought in the natural realm. And, and, and again, I'm going to go back a little bit to what I talked about last week. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, all right? We, we get that. But that is always manifested in the natural. And the battle that we're seeing is that spiritual demonic battle being fought as it's manifested in ISIS and Boko Haram and all those, Al-Qaeda and those things. And so it is a natural fight, although it is also a supernatural, spiritual battle. And we're, that same battle is being fought by men the same way. And it is a holy and unholy war. And what we're seeing is actually the manifestation of God's love for man. And I want to build on that a little bit this morning. I hope I don't confuse you. I'm going to try to connect some dots for you this morning. That's helped me. I believe it'll help you. John, 1 John <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another for, God, for the love of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Say that with me. For God is is love. How many of you learned that when you were a child in Sunday school or whatever? God is love. I mean, every person that knows anything about God knows that statement. It, God does not just love. He is love. Everything about him, everything that emanates from him is done out of what he is, love. Verse 9, it says, in this, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live. God is not the author of death. He is the author of life. The whole reason that God sent his son into the world is so that he could bring life to the world, peace, goodwill toward men. So God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is the love, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. That's Holy Spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, abide, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment now when I hit that phrase right there I'm thinking does that mean when I stand before God's throne I can stand there boldly the book of Hebrews says we can boldly enter into his presence and make our request known unto him because of Jesus' blood. But on the day of judgment, when I'm getting ready to be judged, I can have boldness in the presence of God. And, and I'm not sure what the answer to this is. It's just my, the, my thought pattern, okay? Or when there is a time to make a judgment because I have the boldness of God, because I have the love of God, in other words, I can be bold in the judgment I am about to make because whatever judgment I'm going to make, I'm going to make out of that love that God has shed abroad in my heart. I'm not sure what the statement means. It may mean both. It's one or the other. I'm certain, <clears throat> but let me first 17. Let's read it again. Love has been perfected among us in this, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Brother, that's a very powerful sentence right there. As God is, so are we in this world. What are we? We're loving. God's love has been applied in our heart. Okay? So now last week, I'm just going to touch on that just a minute because I talked about some of this, the difference between the spirit and the natural realms. My intention was to offer a clear understanding of that there's a spiritual realm and there is a natural realm of our Christian life. But what I didn't want to do is leave you with the impression that you can go out and be mean, all right, or a bully or mean spirit or anything like that. And I hope it didn't come across that way. I just wanted to emphasize that God has given us a right to protect health and life. He's given you that God-given right. And my intention was to stress that the characteristics of the Christian life is both spiritual, and it has spiritual aspects, and it has natural aspects as well. And so not every impulse that we get that's a natural impulse is evil. And I think sometimes we do, but we, we think that because the Scripture says that the flesh and the spirit are contrary to each other. And just to recap that, the flesh is talking about the sinful, carnal nature of man. doesn't mean every natural impulse that you have is contrary to the spirit because it's not. We have an impulse to eat food, right? Anybody feeling that right now? Come on. It's not a sin to have an impulse to eat food, but it is a sin to be a glutton. All right? So it's, it's when it come, becomes lustful and in, in a carnal desire. And I talked about sleeping. There's nothing wrong with taking a nap, but it is sin to be a, a, a lazy bum, you know. Uh, and so I, I was stressing that, that we saw that life is precious, the blood is sacred, and it's every man's responsibility to honor and preserve those things, life and health in every person, because we're creating the image of God. We have a natural, God-given impulse, many of those. You have many God-given impulses. They're natural. They're not sinful, all right? One of those is to protect, to protect your wife, protect your children, protect your husband, protect your reputation, protect your church, protect each other, protect your neighbor. That's a God-given natural impulse, and it's not a sin to do those things. And that was the point I was trying to make. And it does tie into the message today because today what we're going to see is that protective nature is also supernatural. Because God has that nature. He's had it from the very beginning. And the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. And brother, this is getting into some deep stuff here. If you really ponder on what what the scripture is saying. This is a natural and a supernatural characteristic. is to protect. God has protected his creation from the very beginning from evil. He's protected it. He did this by sending Jesus to destroy it because God is love and so are we. Now, God was faced with the existence of evil or sin, and that sin threatened his creation. And some people say, well, if God created Lucifer and Lucifer sinned, then therefore God created sin. And I've, Anybody ever heard that statement made or that argument? Technically, God created sin because he created Lucifer and Lucifer sinned. No, he created Lucifer, and Lucifer was perfect in the day that he was created. He gave Lucifer and the angels the freedom of choice. And some, one-third of them, chose to rebel against God. And the Bible says that Lucifer was perfect in the day that he was created until iniquity was found in him. And so the original sin was rebellion. It was Going against God's law and against God's word. It was disobedience was the original sin. And when that sin occurred, evil is now present in God's creation. And that evil, the existence of that evil threatens to destroy his creation. In the book of James, the Bible says that God does not tempt man. Neither can he be tempted. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived or when it's, when it's uh, 
thought, when you, when you lust, said when it's conceived, it bears forth sin. And then when sin finds its way into your heart, it brings forth death. All right? So people's, their own desire, their own choosing, their own lust, and their own cravings is what causes them to sin. And when that sin takes root, it brings death. Sin always destroys. And so God's created a perfect creation and sin enters in. Now there's a battle that's got to take place. It's a spiritual battle. Are you with me? Look this way and listen now. That's going to be fought in the natural realm. Sin has just entered God's creation in the person of Lucifer. But it's going to be fought out in a natural realm. All right. In order to protect or save God's creation, he has to destroy this sin. When God judges sin, it was not and is not done in hatred or in meanness or in bitterness. He's not being a big bully. When God judges sin and when he When he deals with sin, it is an act of his love because he is love. Everything that he does emanates love. Although when we see the judgment and the justice of God, and people are only reaping what they have sown to begin with, but when we see that, sometimes it comes across as being mean and harsh and severe. But you have to understand, if he does not do this, it's going to destroy his creation. So it's not a question of should he deal with sin. He must deal with sin. To not deal with sin would be unloving. Now, just as a side note, when God deals with sin, he is ticked off sometimes. The Bible calls it the wrath of God. He is angry because he saw what the children of Israel would would do sometimes, and it would stir up his wrath, his anger. God would get ticked off. And he would judge them according to what they had done. But it was not done out of vengeance or spite. It was just. Because if I don't stop this, it's going to destroy them. I have got to get rid of this. Or it will kill them all. Matthew 11. Verse 28 and 29 says this though. And I want you to get this. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word meek doesn't mean weak. It means a controlled power, a controlled strength. Jesus was meek. He had a power that he could summon legions of angels. He had power over the elements of the air. He could walk on water. He had power, but it was harnessed. It was controlled. God's vengeance is his meekness, his power under control. And what he is saying is you have this power. You do. Because as he is, so are you in this world. And Jesus is saying, learn from me. How I lived my life. I had strength and I had power. I had the ability to get angry. I had the ability to defend and protect and all those things. But it was always under control. Now, understanding this concept, it explains a lot of what and why we, we see God do the things that he does. Because he loves his creation. And it's because of that love he has to destroy sin. And often that sin is dealt with very swiftly and decisively and severely. Because this sin always, I said, remember I said it always takes on the flesh. What flesh did the serpent take, I just gave it away, did Satan take on? All right. It took, the spirit took on a form. It was a serpent. And God had to deal with it quickly. Because if he hadn't, it would have destroyed the creation. It was only two people at that time. And it entered in immediately when man chose to obey the serpent rather than God. The Bible says in Romans 6 that whomsoever you you your self-servants to obey, his servant you are whom you obey. Whether sin unto death or righteousness unto eternal life. 
Adam chose to obey sin. And he became the servant of sin. Now, that sin in Adam is going to destroy him if God doesn't do something about it. So he dealt with it swiftly and severely. He drove him out of the garden and placed an angel in place of the garden so he couldn't come back in and eat of the tree of life and live in that fallen condition for all eternity. And so all mankind would have lived in that fallen condition as well. Do you see the reason he had to deal with it? And he had to deal with it right now and severely. Then his son, Cain, murdered his brother. What did God do? He drove him out instantly into the land of Nod, which means the land of dwelling or the land of wandering. He drove him away from the rest of his family, dealt with it swiftly. We see it in the days of Noah. The world had become so wicked that there was only one man in his family that was that was righteous, Noah and his family. God dealt with it severely. God killed every single person on planet earth. Amen. I want everybody paying attention now. If you're talking, you're distracting people. Every single person on earth, that's little bitty babies. Just think about that now. Brother, that gets severe. How many of you like to hold little tiny little babies? You think about that now. A little baby's going to drown, and God's going to do it. And it's an act of love. It's an act of love. Because if he doesn't, eventually Noah and his family will fall, and the whole thing is done. It's done. And he loves man. He loved me and you. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here right now. Amen? Jesus wouldn't have been here. It had to happen. After Noah, Ham, he dealt with him. Remember King Saul? He told him to go into the Amalekites, kill everything in the city. That seems very, very severe, but you need to understand that was an act of love. Why? Because this, this thing, it's like a cancer. It's an infection in the body. It's an infection in mankind. And if God doesn't deal with it, it will mastitize, it will spread, and it will eventually destroy mankind. And that's why God dealt so severely Especially early on, because it's the smaller the group of people, the faster this thing can spread. I believe if the population on earth wasn't as big as it is now, we would see some of that biblical type of judgment today. But because there is a strong representation of God in the earth, he doesn't have to deal with it. He can be more patient now because we're not going to yield to that kind of thing. But back then, it was just a handful of his people. Eight people with Noah. And so God had to deal with it very severely and sometimes very swiftly because the body was small and the smaller the body, the quicker that it can die. Just like when the church was born. You've only got 120 people in the entire family of God. 120 people. What does God do? Almost on day one, he kills Ananias and Sapphire. The brother, that swift judgment... It's severe judgment. Aren't you glad God didn't do that today? Come on. We'd probably all be dead. Amen. You ever lied to the Holy Ghost? Be careful. Amen. Come on. But he had to deal with it because the body is small. It's like a little bitty baby and there's an infection in there. And if I don't get that infection out, it will kill that baby. I got to get it out right now. I got to kill Ananias and Sapphire as an example. The Bible said fear came on the church. And I, they were careful what they said about the Holy Spirit from that time on. So this infection, it keeps spreading and it will completely wipe out the body if it's not completely eradicated. So God formed a plan from the very beginning to abolish sin and eradicate sin. Just as he had created the first man, he's going to create a second man. The first man ushered in sin. The first man was Adam. And he's going to create a second Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam or the second son of God. He was the only begotten son because Adam wasn't begotten. He was created from nothing, the dust of the earth. Jesus, on the other hand, came from woman. He he was begotten from mankind. So he was the only begotten son. He wasn't his only son, the only begotten son. In the same way that he created Adam, he's going to create Jesus basically the same way. The Bible says that when he 
created Adam, he said, let us make man in our own image. So how did he create him? By the spoken word, right? Everything was created by the spoken word. God said, light be and light was. God said, let dry land appear. God said, let green, uh, the, the herbs and appear and let them bear fruit and all that. He spoke everything into existence. And what is interesting about this is the same way that God created Adam, and, and the Lord showed me this doing a Christmas sermon preparation years ago, he created Jesus the same way. He just used the mouths of the prophets to do that. Because there's like 400, I forget what I read, 400 and something, it may have been 800 and something prophecies uh, in the Old Testament of Jesus, most of which have been fulfilled. And when he prophesied that he'd be the seed of Abraham, he would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that prophesied the Last Supper, prophesied he'd be of the tribe of Judah, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver was prophesied, prophesied he would be silent at his trial, that he would be scourged, that he would suffer outside the camp, described crucifixion 200 years before it was ever even invented, even thought of. Prophesied his hands would be pierced, that he would hang between two thieves. Prophesied that he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Prophesied that he would be offered vinegar, that they would cast lots for his garments, that his bones would not be broken. They would raise from the dead. He would ascend into heaven. But the one that we are most familiar with is when the very beginning, to show you how God is going to devise this plan from the very beginning, because this fight between righteousness and evil has always been there. It has been swift, and God is doing it as an act of love. As soon as man had sinned in the garden, God said to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And so he prophesied in Genesis 3, 15, the coming of Jesus Christ, who would be born of a woman, the Virgin Mary, from the very beginning. We also see Jesus being spoken to existence in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. A very familiar Christmas passage. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. So he's prophesying the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. It was prophesied that he would come out of Egypt, but that he would be called a Nazarene. And we see Jesus fulfilling all of those things. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, God is speaking into existence Jesus Christ. Verse 6. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, for that time forever. Even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what we're seeing in that is God has created the first Adam who ushered sin into the world. Now God is bringing in the second Adam the same way that's going to destroy that sin as an act of love. When Jesus came, his presence triggered conflict. Just by his very nature, because men are evil. And this will not cease until he comes back again himself in the second coming. We're going to see this spiritual battle that's been fought and is being fought in the natural realm. It's going to continue until Jesus comes back himself. The next time he comes, we know, is in the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise. They'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It'll be a secret ascension. But the next time, the Bible says that his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives and split the mountain in two. Every eye will see him on that day. Every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. People may ignore Jesus today. 
They may not be willing to confess Jesus today, but the Bible declares that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of glory, the creator of all things. The Bible says in John 1, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. What we are seeing right now with ISIS and Boko Haram and all that, especially ISIS, our mind and our focus is very much on that because it is spreading globally. We're having attacks right now here on American soil by a, a radical, demonic, satanic force. Principalities. Brother, there's a big old demon in charge of this. You trust me. It's a big demon. And we're seeing it manifested in the natural realm like it always does, always has. Because demons always have human host. See that in the Bible. They cast demons out of people. And so the people that's doing these things, they are demonic. And they're being demonically uh, Driven, They're yielding themselves as servants to obey those demons, to do what they're telling them to do. It's a spiritual battle being fought in a natural realm. And it's going to grow and continue to grow until it will grow into the, the greatest battle the world has ever seen. The, the people that's doing this, they understand this. They're actually wanting this. They are wanting Armageddon. They look forward to Armageddon. They're trying to usher in the battle of Armageddon. Because they believe that they're going to be victorious. But we know that Jesus Christ will rise up in that day. And he will consume them with the word of his, from his mouth. The sword from his mouth will consume them. Pow. Brother, we don't have to do a thing. We just sit back and say, get them, Jesus. Get them. And brother, he is going to whack them too, brother. Zechariah. We got to read this. Are you all ready to get out of here? What time is it? I don't even have my watch. Somebody tell me what time it is. I don't have a clock up there. What is it? Oh, man, I got y'all for a while yet. No, that, do you know how to find Zechariah in your Bible? How many of you got a Bible? Come on, you don't stop bringing your Bible just because we put it on the overhead. Good, help me find it. No, I'm just kidding. It's in the back of your Bible. Zechariah chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. But this is a demonic battle being fought. When, 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 um, when Vladimir Putin went into Syria, he fulfilled Ezekiel chapter 30, 38. Gog enters into Magog. Fulfillment of that scripture. What he's going to do is unite the Muslim nations. You watch this. It's going to happen. He's going to unite the Muslim nations. And then they're going to march against Israel, led by Iran, the Antichrist, who the Bible says is called the Syrian. He's going to rise. Isn't it interesting? We're in Syria right now. The Bible calls him the Assyrian. He's going to rise up out of this. He is the caliph. According to the Muslim belief, they are waiting for the caliph to bring in the caliphate. When he steps into his position, there won't be Shiite and Sunnis anymore. Because they will unite behind him. They will obey everything he says without question. All right. There's a good book called God's War on Terror. It was written by a former Hezbollah terrorist. And he became a Christian. He said when he began to read about the Antichrist, he knew exactly what it was talking about. You ought to get a copy of it. Behold, in the day of the Lord cometh, and his spoil shall be divided among the midst of them. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses raffled, the women ravished. And half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he, when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. 
And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove towards the north and half of it towards the south. He's going to split the Mount of Olives right in two. Verse 5, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountain, for the valley of the mountain shall reach unto Azel, yea, and ye shall flee like ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Woohoo! That's me, brother. I'm going to be riding with Jesus. Oh, that's going to be good. Says he comes with great thunder. Now, everybody thinks he's going to be riding on a... A horse, I think he's going to be riding on a Harley, but that's just me now. I'm just kidding. Come on. Sound of many thunders. <laughs> okay. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. It shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time there shall be light. You see the shadow that I'm casting? There won't be shadow anywhere because we will be in the presence of the glory of God. There will be no darkness anywhere. Oh, man, it's good stuff. I don't know, maybe this don't get you excited. It sure do get me excited. No. And it shall come to pass in that day that the living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half towards the hinder sea, in the summer and in the winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be the king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord and his name one. Let me skip on down here. Now verse 12, look at this. He's talking about this battle. This is the battle he's going to be fighting. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand up on their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great tumult shall, from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah shall, shall fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathens round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver, silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall the plague of, be on the horse and on the mule and on the camel and that of the ass and of all the beasts that shall be in those tents at this plague. Brother, you don't want to mess with Jesus. Now that sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? But it's being fought in a natural realm. Are you getting this? And it's going to spread until Jesus comes again. The question this morning is, Jesus is going to, he's going to complete this battle. For this purpose came he into the world, to destroy sin, and he's going to do this. The question we have to ask is, which side of this are we on? Which side are you on? Because you're going to fight on one side or the other. You're going to be on the righteous side, the evil side. One, and the way you know you're on the righteous side, is you are obedient. First John 3 says this, and I'm closing with this passage right here. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. People talk about baby Jesus being born. This is why he was born. That he might destroy the works of the devil. People, when we are disobedient to God, we are willfully sinning against God. That is the work of the devil. It's the work of Satan. And when we do that, it brings in the judgment of God. On us, on you. And if he came into the world to destroy sin, and I am deliberately and willingly disobeying God, who is he coming to destroy? Think about that now. 
Bible says for him that knoweth to do good and do it not, to him it's a sin. If I know there's things I should be doing and I'm not doing it, I am deliberately disobeying God, which is a sin. And that is the whole reason Jesus came into the earth is to destroy sin. And brother, I don't want Jesus to be fighting against me. Amen? If you fight against Jesus, you're going to wake up dead. Amen? Come on. So we really ought to, we ought to answer that question. I said I was going to close it out. I forgot I wrote down one more. John, Romans chapter 6. Why don't you stand with me as I read this one? Know ye not that to whomsoever ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or meaning the weakness of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? In other words, what? I'm ashamed of the things that I did. Why should I be doing those things, having fruit, bearing fruit of those things? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What am I saying? There are battles being fought in the natural. Some of them come knocking at your door. Some of them's knocking at the door of our nation. Some of them comes knocking at this door right here, though. It's funny, I was thinking about this message on the way to the church God speaks to me in some weird ways I'm going to say this was God because it just popped into my head somebody knocking at the door somebody ringing a bell anybody know that song somebody knocking at the door somebody ringing a bell somebody please open the door and let him in how many remember that song the Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks if any man will open the door he will come in sup with him He'll be your God. You'll be his people. But church, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody else is often knocking at your door. You need to look through the peephole. See who's knocking at your door before you open it and let them in. Because a whole lot of people is opening the door to sin. And they're letting that in. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus has always dealt with sin. He always will. There's no sin that we can commit and get away with it. The Bible says you will reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. What was that? Oh, sorry. I thought it was me. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. Amen. So if you just bow your head this morning. Father, we want to know that we're our hearts are right before you all the time god in the in the prayer room this morning i just heard you say we need to empty ourselves of us and be filled with your spirit god i pray that you empty us today of ourself fill us with your spirit god words of that song said i need you more god need you more than yesterday I need you more, God. I need you more than words can say. I need you more than ever before, God. I need you more. I need you more. I need you more, God. We need you, Lord. 
God, there is so much out there today to entice people and to draw people. God, we are all battling against the flesh and the temptation of the flesh. And you said that we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And when we yield to that lust, sin is given birth. And then when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Lord, deliver us from that, oh God. The Father, we just pray in the Spirit right now, Lord. That deliverance, freedom from sin, God, would be manifested in our spirit. God, I don't know what people this morning is struggling with, but Lord, I just perceive right now in the spirit that people are battling different, their, their own different personal battles, God. And Lord, many times we, we get weary in that fight, Lord. We know that that thing that draws us, that lures us, God, it, it gets the victory sometimes in our, our walk, Lord. And we stand against it, Lord, and we repent of it, God, and we turn to you. And the next thing we know, we're right back in the same place, God, battling the same fight again. And sometimes we just get so tired and weary and think, we'll never overcome this. This thing is just so much stronger than I am. But Lord, I just declare today, God, that there is no battle that we fight that is too strong because it's never too strong for you, God. And we fight this battle through you, Lord. So whatever struggles we may be having today. God, I pray for your people, Lord, that they will just right now, right where they are, lay it at your feet, God. And they will ask you, God, just to cleanse them, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit in me. Strengthen me, God, and help me to stand strong, Lord, so that I live a life of righteousness. You said he who practices righteousness is righteous even as God is righteous. So, Lord, we want to practice righteousness and holiness. Strengthen us that we can do that, Lord. Help us to see the importance of it. Because, God, when we fail and we stop practicing that, Lord, and we stop being conscious of that, Lord, we are opening the door for sin to enter in. And, Jesus, you came to destroy that sin. And, Lord, I don't want to find myself fighting against you. So mold us into your image today, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, if you keep your head bowed, I'm going to just ask you real quick. If there's anybody that just needs prayer this morning, you've been struggling with something really difficult, and you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll pray for you. As I close, I'm going to just ask you to lift your hand. I'd like to close in prayer and remember you in prayer. I see that hand. Is there someone else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Is there someone else? Say, I'm tired of fighting this. I just want God to help me. I see your hand, sir. Is anybody else? Anyone else? Father, as we close today, Lord, I pray for those that are just they're reaching out to you, God, in faith, saying, I, I'm struggling, Lord. God, I believe that's a sincere desire in their heart, Lord. They know that that thing, God, it's just gnawing at them, and it's Maybe they're yielding to it. Maybe they're just being tempted to yield to it. But, Lord, they're, they're tired and weary in that battle. God, I just pray that you just lift them up today, God. Strengthen them, God. You can do this, God. Touch them right now, God. With the power of your spirit, Lord. To empower them, God, to be strong in the face of temptation. I'm going to tell you guys to do something. And this is for everybody, but especially those who lifted your hand and say, I'm having a struggle. This helps me, okay? When they did the movie called The Passion, if you've seen it, the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and when they zoomed in on his face, if you will imprint that image in your mind, and every time that you're tempted to yield to that temptation, whatever it is, remember that image. Because that sin that you're about to do is what put him there. That's what caused that to happen to him. And it says in Hebrews chapter 6, when you sin willfully, you crucify him afresh. And I don't know about you, but that helps me to say, devil, get behind me because you are an offense to me. 
and stand strong in the face of temptation. Father, I bless your people now in Jesus' name. Lord, as we go from this place, Lord, I pray that we will be a strong and a powerful witness for you. Not just in the things that we say, but God, in the things that we do. Lord, may our very countenance radiate your glory. God, may people see your people and say there is just something different about you. And inquire as to what that is, Lord. Give us an open door, Lord, to share your your glory and your presence, your love and your grace with other people. Lord, may the love of God be shed abroad in our heart. And Lord, may we find the balance in how we battle in the spirit and in the natural realm, Lord. God, may the things that we do please you, Lord. Now, Father, I bless these people, God. I bless their home. Lord, make it a refuge, God, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, Lord. May your presence rest in their houses, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.